Hey, this is Dali, and you're listening to the Fear the Sword podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Bottom, a Fear the Sword podcast. I'm Chris Manning, the site manager over at Fear the Sword. Joining me today is David Zavok. You can find him on Twitter at David Zavok. David, what's up, man? Hey, not much. How are you? I'm doing good. So we are getting to the end of the season. Uh, two games left as David and I record this. Spurs on Sunday, the Hornets on Tuesday. David, uh, not I don't think a ton left to really learn about this team or Colin Sexton or anything, but anything in particular you're looking forward to kind of seeing over these last two games? Um, I mean, I think we've kind of seen what we're going to see, but um, I think it's just pretty impressive that Colin has sustained his play like he has. Um, I guess I would have liked to have seen a little bit more from Tristan after he came back. I don't think he's been uh, as good as he was for uh, you know a couple weeks of this season, but um, so maybe he can you know put together a couple solid games. But uh, no, I, I think I've been reasonably happy with with Colin Sexton, but um, sort of is what it is at this point. Yeah, I I don't think there's much to learn. Um... I do like. I think it's like a interesting group of teams, especially if Kemba plays on Tuesday for Colin to have to play defense against. And I'm, I'm here for more tape and stats on his defense, but that's also a thing that if it's going to improve in a meaningful way, it's going to be a summer into next season thing, not a last two game of the season type of thing. I mean, we'll see if Kevin Love plays too because we don't really know if he's going to play again, which isn't great, but we'll see. Uh, okay, so what Dave and I are going to do today is we are going to rank these five things in terms of their importance to the Cavs this summer. They are lottery night, hiring a new head coach, the actual NBA draft, free agency, and the trade market. David, what to you is the most important thing in shaping the Cavs summer? Uh, Well, it's the lottery unless the lottery doesn't work out. In which case, then it's the draft. So I'm an, I have those as one A and one B for that reason. Yeah. Because if they get the lottery, as we currently look at it, they could fall as far as number seven. They can obviously they they could end up at number one. They have the even odds with the Knicks and the Suns of getting the first overall pick. If they get the first overall pick, they take Zion. Everyone's excited. Uh, NBA Twitter melts down because the Cavs and Dan Gilbert got another really good, exciting young player. But if they finish in somewhere in that two to four range, things will probably work out, right? Like they have a shot to get R.J. Barrett, to get, um, you know, if, if the Cavs are inclined, they could get John Moran. They also could get Jared Colfer. If they slide to seven, there will be useful players available, but not the cream of the crop prospect. I think if they fall back lower, it'll be a position where we're going to have to see them pick someone who they feel like can be like something like they feel like Colin Sexton is, where he's going to be a later lottery pick and can develop. I feel like the whole tone of the summer is really going to be determined more or less on lottery night. And then the draft night will obviously contribute to that. But I feel like the summer is really going to feel like it's starting on lottery night, regardless of what happens, regardless of where that pick actually ends up. It's going to, I think, set the tone for everything we're going to talk about, uh, write about, whatever, from now until the start of next season. Yeah, and I mean, even if they don't get Zion, it's still the... The, the lottery is still the most important thing because, you know, if they end up at five, six, or seven, that that you know puts you in a in a, in a different frame of mind as well. So, um, you know, you know, if, if one tier is, is Zion and then another tier is is uh, Barrett and Morant and maybe Culver, you know, that's one thing. But if you start, you know, picking, you know, at seven or six, then uh, you need to, to really be expanding what you're looking at. And that, all of that stems out of 
ping pong balls. So we'll see what happens. Here's a draft hot take I have. I, in terms of what I want to see the Cavs have to do, obviously getting to cover Zion would be awesome. Like there's no denying that it would be super cool to see uh, to get to cover him as as a player from day from day one. At the same time, I think it'd be really interesting to see the Cavs have to build in a way they have not since LeBron entered the league. So ever since LeBron has entered the league, they have been very much getting their guy by getting to the top of the draft and not having to really put in... I don't want to say they didn't help develop guys because like LeBron had Chris Jenner as a shooting coach. Kyrie you know, certainly was developed by the Cavs to some degree. I mean, there, there's some... There's something there that they've already had to develop guys in, in some way. Tristan is, of course, like a product of their development. But it's not something they're historically great at. If you look at Dion, you look at uh, Anthony Bennett, obviously. You look at Luke Jackson, if you want to go back to 04, although he did have a bunch of injuries. There's not a lot of cases where the Cavs have had to draft a guy and really develop him. And they've since last summer, they've talked about being, being in the player development business. I actually just want to see them in a scenario where they have to do that. I do think it's anything from two down is going to be that to varying degrees. But I personally, Zion is obviously the preferable outcome for the team. I think it'd be really interesting to see them have to build in a way that isn't, we got Zion Williamson and everything's just going to kind of happen off of getting that guy instead of, hey, we got RJ Barrett and he might be really good, but there's some more development to do here. I mean, that's that's the most likely scenario. So, I mean, um, you know, even if, I mean, if they are, are drafting a Barrett or a Culver or a Morant, I mean, uh, it's not, it's obviously pretty far from a guarantee that those guys are going to be star players either. So um, they, you know, they're doing that right now with, with Sexton and, and Osman. Uh, it looks like the Rockets pick they're going to get, going to get is pretty late. Um, it's, you know, 50, 50 on whether or not they have a draft pick next year uh, I think it's top ten protected again. Yes, um, but it's 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 just it's it would be interesting to watch, but it's very difficult to be successful when you're trying to pull that off. So um, we'll see if it ends up being necessary. They it's going to be just interesting I think, to see the how the Cavs approach all this because they just have a lot of things we we don't quite know and it's a weird roster right now and all that. Um, and that top ten pick next year should factor in to some degree because. You could see like Kevin and if Tristan's going to be here next year being like, let's put let's let's get guys that can help us. Let's try to like push for the eight seat or something that's going to cost you that pick. Is that the uh, approach the Cavs are going to take? Maybe the draft offers us some insight into that. I don't know that to be true. It's too early for us to kind of guess one way or the other on that, but it's possible. Okay, what if those are one A and one B, let's go to number three. What would be your third thing in terms out of hiring a new head coach for agency and the trade market? Um, probably, I'll say the trade market. Um, I think it's more likely that something big happens in the trade market than through free agency. So like in free agency, I think holding on to, uh, you know, like a David Nwaba is important. Um, I think they can start looking at an extension with, with Chetty, um, so I think like that, that's technically not free agency, but I think, you know, that's important. Um, but in terms of, you know, decisions they make with Kevin Love, with Tristan Thompson, with Brandon Knight, with with some of these other guys uh, in terms of whether or not they want to keep them around um, or, you know, what they're offered for them. 
I, I could see a, a bigger there, there's a bigger you know variance and a bigger chance of it being really impactful in the trade market I think than than in free agency right now. I don't think there's any way the Cavs are players in free agency. There's obviously no way they're signing a top tier free agent. They don't also don't have a lot of money, so they can't like overpay for like Jeremy Lamb or something like that to kind of drive a guy like that to Cleveland. I think the trade market's going to be interesting for them because number one, I think this. Would you agree with me that this is the summer that like one way or the other we're going to get a better read on if Kevin Love is like going to be with the Cavs for the remainder of this contract or not? Because I, I kind of feel like if there is a window to trade him. It's probably this summer after Mega Free Agency is done and, and we see teams maybe trying to make an, an other moves. If Kevin Love is flipped in that kind of time zone, I think that's like the most likely time he's going to be traded at least for the next like year or so. Do you, do you, or do you, am I, do you think like he's a guy that could be traded much later in his contract? Just I, I have concerns about his injury history and everything like that um, as we kind of move forward with this trade value. But do you think like that's this is kind of like the peak window where Love could get flipped? Yeah, I mean, I think February would probably be maybe a little more likely, or January, just because, um, you know, the Cavs could be falling out of playoff range, and maybe they decide they really need to keep their pick. Um, Or maybe Kevin Love's playing really well, and a contender thinks that he would help. Um, So I, I don't know if there's any... You know, time that you know it's it's more likely than not. You know, maybe the Lakers feel like they need to make a panic trade for him. You know, this summer I don't know, um, but he you know he's not getting younger. So, um, but at the same time, his his contract is what it is. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I I guess I would say that the time that he's most likely to be traded would be next January, February before the deadline. And we look into the rest of the roster. So you have Jordan Clarkson, expiring contract. Brandon Knight, expiring contract. Tristan Thompson, expiring contract. John Henson, expiring contract. And Matthew Delabadova, expiring contract. I don't really have a good gauge either on like how valuable expiring contracts are going to be. Uh, maybe for agency this summer will set some of that value. It just doesn't seem like there's as much bad money necessarily like those 2016 contracts are starting to come off the books now and we're starting to move past some of those deals and those are going to be expiring anyway so why would you flip you know an expiring for an expiring i don't really know how active i would expect the caps to be that's for me this is number four um we'll get to the my number three kind of after we get here but I'm fascinated by what they do because you could see a scenario where they like move a bunch of guys and like take back guys that are maybe slightly overpaid or or you know have another year in their contract but like could help them and make them like a more functional roster because they are weirdly kind of loaded with bodies on at guard and up front. I can't imagine like that out of the the guys of Delhi, Knight, Clarkson, Henson and Tristan, I can't imagine at least like two of those guys are not at the very least are not moved in the summer. It just seems like the roster needs to be made more functional and flipping those guys for something um, is going to be the way to do it. The problem is I don't know how many of those guys are like viewed by teams that maybe need to get off salary and also maybe want to win or how valuable those guys are really going to be viewed. Like John Henson isn't making like a ton of money next year. But he didn't play like at all this year. Like, how valuable is that guy in the trademark right now? I, I just have no gauge. How d- does a team like? Is it too early for a team to be like the Cavs in 2018, where they got Jordan Clarkson and like talk themselves into him being like a useful playoff piece for them? Is like, is that something that's more likely to happen in February? This stuff can, of course, happen all the way up to February. 
I just wonder like what the approach is with those contracts this summer. I think that will set the tone more than anything else. It wouldn't surprise me if they were able to talk themselves in to Brandon Knight being helpful, um, uh, you know, and, and somebody they want to at least bring back next year to keep looking at. Um, I think at this point they know what they have in Delhi. Um, they probably, you know, thought, that, you know, hey, maybe, you know, maybe he can come back and, and get back some of his magic. But in the meantime, we're not going to mind having him in the locker room. Um, but, yeah, I could see them feeling like maybe they had to make a choice on Delhi versus Knight. But um, then, you know, you start talking, well, are they going to draft Morant or another point guard? Um whether it's you know Garland or White, um, so I think that that I think the draft will have an impact on what they end up feeling like they have to do in terms of balancing the roster. Do right now, do do any one of those guys in expiring deals to you feel like they would be the most valuable guy to have around on the Cavs next season, and someone you necessarily you'd rather them just see, you know, maybe just run out their contract and then see what happens from there. Um, I don't really mind having either of them around. I mean, I, I think if they could find a way to move Jordan Clarkson, um, that would be probably mo- most likely my favorite option, uh, mainly because I could see the Cavs talking themselves into Clarkson being helpful, and I just don't just don't see that. Um, but if they could try and find another... Um, if they could try and find another team that does, um, and and either get something back or not, but um, you know, they they also are at a position where they do have to sort of make sure that they're not going over the luxury tax or anything like that. So um, they're they're closer to it than maybe they want to be, particularly you know if if they are going to keep Nuaba around. I truly have no idea how they're not going to pay the luxury tax, which is like a very interesting wrinkle. Um, I would, ex- I, I just like I think Dan will pay it if it's worth it, but I wonder if he, if there's going to be edict from him, it's like, hey, just like we're not paying the luxury tax regardless. I wonder if that's it's, like a thing. I would, I would be upset if they did. There's no point. No, but I, I wonder, but like, there's also the point of like. Can you like get out of it in a way like and avoid paying in a way that's actually still been a benefiting you, right? Like I think that's kind of the thing, and like you don't want to pay the tax, but is it worth it to shed salary just to shed salary if it costs you the the you just spent this year like restocking your asset pool? I wonder if they I don't know if this is like fair to frame it this way, but I wonder if if it's possible for them to not pay the tax while also like not getting a giving up assets to not pay the tax right like a, a salary dump to me where they like give up like some kind of future second round pick or something would be kind of dumb just to not pay the tax but i i could totally see dan being like yeah like i don't want to pay the tax we're not going to make the playoffs i i just there's some complicated stuff there that i want to see how the roster shapes out and what that could kind of mean i think that they'll be able to do it without giving up too much but um they there's no point for them to pay the luxury tax now um and i don't want paying it now to discourage him from doing it in a couple years when it might actually be helpful so um i would rather they work their way out of it i agree I, i think it's if they can they should okay let's go on to the head coaching situation Larry Drew is in all likelihood not going to be back um as we basically have seen out there 
we know that they are not really talking to him about a contract. There's been like no discussion from either side about a new contract. It seems like he's going to get to the end of the season, do his exit interview, and then they're going to shake hands and part ways, and they're going to bring in somebody new. Um, I think that's the right move, personally. Um, I really am going to be curious to see like what kind, how fast they go about this. I last time they hired a coach, they hired David Blatt on June twentieth. <laughs> There's no way I think they can do that this time around. That would be very bizarre to me if they if they waited that long. You know, I don't expect it to take like a week. Um, you need to see what happens with Luke Walton. You need to, to happen with some other guys. But I just wonder like what is going to be the case where who they hire, who they interview, how long it sort of takes them to get through this process, and what it says you know about what they're trying to do. I you know they the reporting's been out there for a couple months now that they want a player development minded coach that would certainly kind of think be the right move. It also means they want some, they, they've said they want someone younger. That's been the kind of what's been floated out there. I'm from like Joe Farden and Jason Lloyd and whatnot. That to me makes sense. I just want to see like who they actually hire. And if it's the kind of hire that is different from what they've done in the past, because if you look at how they hire historically, and this is not all in the Dan era, this goes back to Gordon Gunn when they hired Paul Silas for LeBron you also, you know, Mike Brown was brought in and then you had Byron Scott um, to kind of help develop Kyrie. And I don't think even then Byron Scott was considered like a player development guru. Um, you know, they bring back Mike Brown, didn't quite work. I wonder if they actually could like commit to like a younger Jordy Fernandez, Chris Gent um, type coach that would be, a, I think, the right move, but something that would be kind of out of character for them. Maybe Blatt was like this and it obviously the LeBron stuff threw it out of wax. So I wonder if they go back to that kind of development, modern-y, modern-y kind of coach path this time around. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I I think Dan's always, you know, going to at least put the feelers out there for a big name, and he might have a little bit more luck, just given that people seem, you know, people are, are around the league seem to be sort of noticing Colin Sexton. So I, I think Colin is helpful, particularly um as they try and you know figure out the best possible um you know you know coach but in terms of you know what might be best for them it might be a no-name player development guy that um you know has worked his way up as an assistant is dan gilbert going to be interested in that i don't know um and it'll be interesting to find out um but I think we'll we'll know based on the names that we're hearing, right? I mean, like, if you start hearing 10-year contract for Izzo or Calipari, um, you know, because David Blatt was not the first choice um, by a long stretch, I don't think. So um, I think, you know, they've again, the lottery will have something to do with it, too, in terms of how desirable it looks. But... Um, they'll probably want to hire somebody quick so they can start to get his feedback on what he thinks about, you know, what he thinks the roster needs and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, I, w- I would definitely say it'll be a little bit quicker than the last time. All right. So over under May 1st, when do we get the first Izzo rumor? Like, when is that put out there by someone credible? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go like before May 1st. That one will be on Tuesday morning <laughs> after Izzo wins a national championship. National title before the Cavs shoot around like 8.30 in the morning. Woj bomb um, over Cleveland. Tom Dan Gilbert's interested in, in hiring Tom Izzo, and he's putting the feelers out already. Like, that would not be the most shocking thing in the world to me. Um, 
that would be a damn move. I mean, that that would feel out of character from like what we've seen Kobe kind of say publicly, but that would be a damn move. And I think that's a factor in all of this, right? Like we gotta, we don't like. It's really interesting to me that we have not heard uh, much out of Dan all year, and I, you know, I think that's probably intentional. Um, it's sort of the opposite path that he took last time LeBron left. I, I think that's probably this kind of the smart PR play. I would like to see him kind of speak publicly. Like I would like, I don't know if you remember when that, uh, I know you're, you're not an Indians fan, but I'm sure you, as, as someone who's part of Cavs Twitter and is friends with Indians fans, you saw the Paul Dolan interview. I want yep. something like that, like with Dan Gilbert. Like I need someone who can get the access to Dan to get like a big in-depth Q&A with Dan and just have him speak on a number of topics. That to me is something I would really, really like to see. Well, I think it's less likely. Um, yes, I agree. After what Dolan did. So um, it might be nice, but uh, I promise you the Cavs communication staff is is fine without that happening. I wonder if he'll speak at I, – A, I wonder if they're going to do exit interviews this year because they just haven't done them because of the finals. I, I feel like that would be a place where maybe him and Kobe and Drew like share the dais and talk for like 20 minutes. Like I feel like that's like the way you could get around it by still having Dan talk um, – I don't know though. We're gonna find out. This is all gonna kind of happen very quickly here. It's recording this on Saturday. The season ends on Tuesday. Playoffs start very soon. Like a lot of this is just gonna happen, and then the Cavs are gonna go dark up until the draft. Like that's sort of the the point in this process that we're at right now. Um, last I mean, thing, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I definitely they will definitely do player. They will definitely do exit interviews. If they don't, that would be very weird it'd be super weird but who knows all right free agency i think for me the big thing with free agency is just david nawaba i assume they would tender him and keep his restricted free agency rights i think that makes all the sense in the world and then secondly do they find another nawaba type free agent that just slips through the market isn't going to you know they can sign on a bargain but that's that's all i'm really expecting out of them is they do some smart pragmatic things um, on the on the bottom end of free agency, and it's guys that you're you know it's gonna be like a Trevion Graham type that maybe the casual fan is not super familiar with, but that that's that's my whole expectation for free agency. Yeah, and even there, I think they'll maybe you know look at their second first round draft pick as that as well, you know, sort of that that sort of roll of the dice young player that they're bringing in. So we'll see but uh, i think you're right to not expect a lot just and also because of what we already talked about they don't have a whole lot of money to throw around anyway uh what what's use like a fair evaluation of nawaba assuming they like want to keep him which we just you know we need to kind of see them tender him first to kind of keep that in their court and if they want to go that way what's use like a fair value for david nawaba i think like 3 years at like 6 per is like kind of reasonable yeah, I mean, he was a plus 13 against the Warriors last night. He's uh, good. I just watched him defend, like, I went back and watched him, like, defending James Harden from November. I was blown away by how good he did. Um, Harden was 4 or 15 against, according to the NBA matchup stats in that game um, against Nawaba. He's really good at defense. Like, he maybe can't yep. defend quick point guards and, like, bigger fours, but if you give him, like, a two through a, a smaller four type, he can defend him. He's really, really good, and he has value. Yeah, um, I would. Uh, I would probably start by offering him uh, three and eight, three th- three years, eight million a year, um, just to. Well, I mean, they can they can let it play out, but um, you know, with him being restricted, I, I would. I would probably just match whatever, um, but I would not feel bad about paying him eight million a year. 
Anything else you want to get off your chest before we wrap up this show? It's it's kind of a tough time of the year. Um, not a whole lot of games. They're they're on this weird West Coast trip late in the season, so that's kind of throwing I think everyone off a little bit. Any final Kev's takes you want to get out, which is in what will probably be the last in season episode of the bottom. Uh, no, I just I think it wasn't a perfect year for Shetty and Colin, but we saw just enough to to sort of feel good moving forward. Um, and I think Sexton is sort of clearly a higher ceiling player right now, which should should have been obvious, but wasn't for part of the year. So I think that's good. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. So that's going to be it for this episode of The Bottom. We are going to be back end of the season getting into a whole bunch of things uh, where David and I are kind of working on planning it out right now. If there's something you want us to cover, drop us an email to uh, sword@sbnation.com, or you can tweet us at sword or message us on Facebook. Just get in contact with us. David and I are pretty accessible. He's on Twitter at David Zabok. I am on Twitter at CWM. Right, David, as always, thanks so much. Hey, talk to you soon, man.